We're going to be looking uh, at a topic today. Um, We just finished, as you are aware, uh, finished the book of Amos. And Lord willing, uh, my plan is to preach through the book of 1 John uh, after that. Uh, But wanted to take just this opportunity kind of in between these two books uh, to look at uh, this idea of forgiveness. And so, Lord willing, this is going to be something that will be uh, two weeks, this week and next week. Uh, this week, we'll look a little bit more at kind of the, uh, the negative side, that is what we should avoid, the bitterness and the unforgiveness. And then next week, uh, Lord willing, we want to establish a little bit more of the positive side. What does forgiveness look like in the Christian's life? So let's go ahead and begin Uh, with a word of prayer. Thank you, God, for your grace to us. We thank you for your great kindness. We thank you for your mercy to us. We pray that you would show us Christ today, even as we've sung. We pray that you would help us, those who are discouraged today, that you would encourage them, those who are um, in sin, that you would bring them to repentance. I pray that you'd help us as a church to grow more into the image of Christ, we pray in his name. Amen. A number of years ago, there was a certain individual who had sinned against me, and it was not the worst thing that anyone had done against me, but it still kind of hurt a little bit. And after uh, a few days had passed, this individual called me up on the phone and simply said, I'm sorry. And I responded to that with the words, I forgive you. And at this statement, when I said, I forgive you, this individual responded with very nervous and uncomfortable laughter. Something was amiss in this situation. And I didn't uh, explore it any further. I just let it go at that. Uh, But I happen to know that this individual... Uh, though uh, a a Christian, was not accustomed to normally saying or hearing the words, I forgive you. This individual was accustomed more to hearing something closer to, don't worry about it, right? I'm sorry, don't worry about it, it's okay. But when I said, I forgive you, I was actually saying this. In fact, I think everyone knows this intuitively. When, when you say, I forgive you, what you are saying is, I agree with you that you are guilty, that you are wrong, you have sinned, and I pardon that. When a person says, I'm sorry, and the other person replies with, don't worry about it, It could be compared to a man punching someone in the face, and then both of you simultaneously look at the other way and say, oh, look at that nice butterfly over there, and you completely ignore the situation at hand. You have what we would call an unresolved offense, and the average American home, I would suggest to us, has piles and piles of unresolved offenses. And we know this because hardly a soul in this country knows how to get along with one another. When I do uh, premarital counseling, some of you know this um, because you've had to endure that with me. Uh, one of the things that I all, one of the questions that I always ask 
is I always ask, is there anyone, at some point in, this, in the conversation, is there anyone in the world that if they walked up to you right now in this moment and said, uh, will you forgive me? Is there anyone that you could not forgive in that moment? And the reason that I ask that question is because if you are someone who has unresolved offenses, if you are someone who is bitter in your heart or is not willing to forgive someone, you will drag that into every single relationship in your entire life, particularly marriage. And I would like to preach today a message that I have called, As We Forgive Our Debtors. And today's message, as I mentioned a moment ago, is going to be a little bit more on the negative side, which is bitterness or unforgiveness. And then next week, more on the positive side. I am going to violate uh, some uh, preaching rules, like always having transitions in between each of your points. We're just going to plow through this, okay? Uh, Because I have a lot of points today, and we're just going to run through them one by one by one by one. So hopefully you'll forgive me for that. Uh, One more thing, though, before we begin, and that is I want to mention uh, as a caveat here, or maybe as a prerequisite is a better word, is that we're not primarily going to be talking today and next week about divine forgiveness. We've talked about that elsewhere. Um, We would call that vertical forgiveness or restoration. I wanted this to be more of horizontal forgiveness, that is, forgiveness between your fellow man. Um, I will say, however, that you cannot have horizontal forgiveness without vertical forgiveness. That is the prerequisite for all that we are going to be talking about today. And so I'm kind of jumping over that point, knowing that we've talked about it elsewhere and many times before, how we are forgiven by God. But just as a reminder... Um, if that's first base, and if you don't get there, you can't get to second base, which is where we're starting at today. Um, so here's what our outline is going to be. Uh, as I said, this is going to be a big one, but uh, and we'll be moving at lightning pace. We're going to look at a day in the life of a hoarder, defining bitterness, to dodge flying shrapnel, understanding the destructive power of bitterness. We're going to look at the underlying causes of bitterness, a slight miscommunication between the sales and production teams, the consequence of unforgiveness is unforgiveness, and then a little bit of perspective for good measure, and then the needed remedy to bitterness. Okay, let's start with Matthew 6 in verse 12, where Jesus says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. If any of you have ever had the opportunity to see or to walk through the house of a hoarder, it is a sight to behold. There are some people on this earth who cannot part with anything, and I mean literally anything. They keep everything in their homes. They never throw anything away. They keep boxes and they keep packaging and they keep broken cups and broken television sets and used plastic food packaging and a thousand other things are all kept inside of their homes, never thrown away. Uh, I haven't seen this show, but I even stumbled across as I was preparing that apparently there's a television show called Hoarder House Flippers. And apparently they try to find the worst hoarder homes 
and then they try to clean them up and sell them. Now, as bad as uh, lifestyle, as hoarding is, most people, I think, try to recognize it and stay a million miles away from it, except in one very small minor area. And I would suggest that many people, though they may not be hoarders physically, are hoarders in another area, and that is in the area of forgiveness and reconciliation and hoarding or holding on to past hurt and past grievances. I'm convinced that if you could convert every unforgiven wrong into a little box, you know, bitterness is not a physical thing, but if you could convert it into a physical thing, just a small little box like this, you know, and every single unforgiven wrong could be converted into one of those little boxes I would suggest that in that situation, most American homes would look like hoarder homes. You see, we're not hoarding Coke bottles and old paper towel rolls. We are hoarding unforgiven offenses by the truckload. And Americans wake up in the morning and we walk down little paths through our houses where there are boxes stacked from the floor all the way to the ceiling of unforgiven offenses. We do not, we, we live in a country where we do not reconcile wrongs anymore. If your spouse offends you, you get a new spouse. Your church offends you, you get a new church. Your friend offends you, you get a new friend. This is why we have this phenomenon in the world that we like to call family drama, okay? Every single one of you in this room knows what family drama is partially because family is kind of one of those things that's a little bit harder to get rid of than the rest, okay? Family drama is in large part, not all of it, but in large part, family drama is a bunch of hoarders getting together and they're stepping on each other's toes because all of this mess has just come into one room altogether. Our culture, encur- and our culture encourages us to do this, Okay? It is not culturally acceptable to forgive people. Our culture encourages us to keep our list of grievances up to date, to keep it cataloged, to keep a Microsoft Excel spreadsheet where everything is laid out perfectly, and we are ready at a moment's notice to rehearse all of the past grievances. On September 14th, uh, 1976, you did da 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 and we have it cataloged. This is the sin of bitterness. And I'm going to give to you a few definitions. These are um, just definitions that I I came across as I was preparing. And so uh, one definition is this. Bitterness can be defined as clamming up when you are offended, but still stewing over the offense in your mind, right? You're thinking of ways to get revenge. You're thinking of things in your mind. How can that person hurt more? Another definition is bitterness is the resentful spirit which refuses reconciliation. Another definition, I think this one is MacArthur's. He says, bitterness reflects a smoldering resentment, a brooding grudge-filled attitude. It is a spirit of irritability that keeps a person in perpetual animosity, making him sour and venomous. 
And then uh, one last one is bitterness is an attitude of extended and intense anger and hostility. It is often accompanied by resentment and desire to get even. It is a result of not forgiving an offender and letting the hurt and anger grow until the pain and resentment sour the person's view of life. I'm just going to give it a very simple definition and just say that bitterness is unforgiveness. Uh, another possible definition of this that you could use is simply prolonged anger. Okay? Bitterness is anger, but it's anger stretched over a long period of time that does not go away. Bitterness is essentially a refusal to forgive a wrong done to me. And of course, this refusal to forgive causes shrapnel to fly absolutely everywhere. It is a mess. It is an absolute chaotic mess. There are hundreds of negative consequences and effects of bitterness, and I'm just going to give to you a few of them here. I'm going to give you a little bit of a random list, um, but just a few of the, the highlights here. The first one to note is that bitter people themselves are slaves. If you are bitter, and, and, and the reason that this is maybe... Um, uh, would appear to us to be slightly counterintuitive is because the bitter person is the offended party. The bitter person is the one who is, the other person did the wrong. And yet, ironically, the bitter person now commits a second wrong. And we see in Titus 3 3, uh, the reality of slavery. We see, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures. What kinds of passions and pleasures? Passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Bitter people are slaves. Another way of saying this is that bitter people are never in the driver's seat. They may imagine that they are, but it is actually the bitterness that drives them. It is the bitterness that rules them. If you are a bitter person, you have handed the keys over to the bitterness, and now you are a slave to wherever it wants to take you. You're just along for the ride, unable to restrain your sinful passions and pleasures. Your sinful passion says, do this, and you do it. Your sinful pleasure says, do that, and you do it. Bitter people are slaves. Secondly, bitter people are irritable and angry. Ephesians 4 talks about this. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. And what are we to do instead of that? Of course, be kind to one another. Tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. Notice the attributes that go together. Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, and malice. They're like cousins. And then there's a second list that go together, kindness, tenderheartedness, and forgiveness. Bitter people are angry people simply because bitterness is prolonged anger. It is anger stretched out over a, period, a long period of time. And by the way, the irritability that you experience and demonstrate while you are in your bitterness can be completely unrelated to the issue at hand. That's why we're saying that it's flying shrapnel, okay? Because you're bitter that this person did this to you, but then over here, you're lashing out on all these other people for all these other things in your life. 
They're just irritable about everything. The third thing here to note, characteristic we might say, is that bitter people suffer themselves. Psalm 32, 3 through 4, David writes and says, When I kept silent, that is, when I did not confess my sin, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me, my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Bitter people are sinning, they are refusing to repent, and therefore they are wasting away. David talks about this here in Psalm 32. Sometimes some people will refer to this as the psychosomatic effects of sin, that when I sin, there is an actual effect and an impact on my body. It actually drains me, it exhausts me. Bitter people also sin. Now, this goes probably without saying, uh, but let me give you an illustration, one that I did not come up with. This is not unique to me. Uh, But this is uh, an illustration that I think conveys the reality because I I want to drive home the point that I mentioned a moment ago, and that is that bitter people even though they were offended, someone offended them, someone sinned against them, and they didn't sin, this situation can quickly turn into adding one sin onto the other. Okay? And the illustration is simply this. When someone sins against you, it can be compared to that person cutting you with a knife physically. You now have a gash on your arm. You have a cut In that particular case, when somebody does that to you, one sin has been committed. They sinned against you. There is a gash on your arm. They have cut you. Okay? You were sinned against. You were wronged. You are innocent. The other person is guilty. We all understand that. God has called us to do something with the open wound. You are commanded by God to do something with that open wound. And if you don't do that something with the open wound, sin number two. And what God has called you to do with that open wound is he has called you to bandage your wound, to dress your wound, and to put a little bit of neosporin on there to prevent infection. Okay? Bandaging and dressing your wound is a biblical imperative that you must, must do. And it is absolutely essential to prevent you from bleeding out. Bitter people are people who don't bandage the wound. And therefore, sin number two is committed. Though nobody could possibly keep any sort of statistic on this, I would venture to say that in almost every offense in our country, there is an equal and opposite offense committed by the offended. It's usually most of the time the case, not all the time. And bitter people walk around 
refusing to bandage their wounds. And this is what bitter people do. They walk around to everybody else and they say, look at this gash I have here. Look at this gash over here. Oh, look at this gash. There's one on my leg here. Did you, did you notice? Yeah, th- this one, my wife gave me this one. My Uncle Johnny gave me this one. My, this person gave me this one. Did you notice? Oh, look at, look at the one. This is the one my wife, it's fresh. Just they notice the way that the knife cut. Look at the angle of the cut here. And this one's even getting a little bit of pus on it and all those kinds of things. And we, we keep it open. We, we, we point it out to everybody around us. Now, if that person is a, really a friend... If that person is really a friend, they should say, boy, you probably should get that bandage. You should get that <laughs> looked at. You should kind of take care of that. But in what, I don't think this is a stretch to say this, in what may be one of America's predominant sins in our country, your friends quote unquote, come alongside of you and they sit down with you and they admire the wound with you. Say, oh, I see that. Yeah, I can see how that would hurt you. And yeah, I do see the pus over there and look, oh yeah, they kind of cut that vein right there. And your friends, quote unquote, are actually helping to increase the speed at which the infection comes. Your friends, quote-unquote, are increasing the speed at which your own demise will eventually come. Because everybody wants to keep the wound open. We live in a bitter country. Sorry to be so pessimistic in this message, but we're getting somewhere with this, okay? We live in a bitter country. Hardly a family... And this country knows what it is like for every single family member to get home from work at the end of the day, to get home from school, and everyone to sit around the table and to just be happy together. You realize that that is rare in our country. That's probably one of the reasons why everybody's doing so many things. I don't want to be with them because there's so much opportunity for conflict. The goal for the Christian then is not to go through life without any scars. That's impossible. The goal for the Christian then is to go through life without any open wounds. That's a very different goal. If you live on this earth for a hundred years, you're going to get cut thousands of times. You're going to. But the 100-year-old person who never dressed a single wound is going to look very different from the 100-year-old person who bandaged them all immediately. Take your pick. The, the, some, of you, some, of you know these, some of you know these people. Some of you, I hope none of you are these people. Some of you, <laughs> you, you know the, 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 the person who has is reaping what he's sown throughout his life of 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50, 60, 70, 80 years of never forgiving any offenses. You, you all know this person because when you're with that person, you want to run away. You don't want to be anywhere near this person. 
because they're, they're just a sour old man who has no joy in life because bitterness has destroyed them. Destroys you. Bitterness is also highly contagious. Uh, this, this is a verse, uh, Hebrews twelve fifteen. If you guys can get to Hebrews twelve fifteen back there. Bitterness is highly contagious. It says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it many become defiled. In other words, let me tell you what Hebrews twelve fifteen means. It means catch the gangrene early and cut it off. It, it, it will spread. It will spread throughout your body and it will spread to everyone around you. The longer you, get, you let gangrene go, the more body parts you have to cut off. Much better to cut off a pinky than a hand and much better to cut off a hand than an arm. Hebrews 12 reminds us that bitterness spreads and it defiles many. And no doubt you've seen this in action. Someone is bitter about an absent father or an absent mother or a friend who betrayed them or something like that, whatever this thing is. And their bitterness has spread to every area, every crevice of their lives, even unrelated ones. So they get home from work at the end of the day and they complain about their coworkers and they complain about their boss and they complain about their church and they complain about the news and they complain about their friends and they complain about their family and they complain about the weather. And every single time you're with them, it's complain, 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 sheer misery to be around this person. And oftentimes they have no idea what they're doing. Completely unaware of what's going on. One of the common characteristics among bitter people is that they are deeply entrenched in self-deception and self-denial. You probably, you may have had a conversation. An hour long, two hour long, three hour long stint of nothing but complaining and complaining and complaining. You know, you've kind of been complaining. What are you talking about? I've been complaining. (laughs) It's so... Uh, so entrenched in this way of life that it's affected everything. Hebrews 12 says it will spread and it will spread to unrelated areas. Be bitter about everything. Short fuse in every area of life. Bitterness is inherently corrosive. And what I mean by that is it has no creative power. It doesn't build anything good. It doesn't encourage anybody. It doesn't make anything better. It doesn't follow God's creation mandate to take dominion and subdue the world. It doesn't bring order. It only brings chaos. It's the difference between a trowel and a wrecking ball. And it just destroys everything in its path. No joy, no happiness, no satisfaction, no contentment. Just destruction. Like a tornado just leaves chaos and mayhem behind it. Nothing good comes from it. Which brings us to the underlying causes of bitterness. I'm going to list three of them. Um, we could 
think, talk about more things. But I think at the core of it, we have uh, unbelief. Why is unbelief one of the core causes of bitterness? Because you just don't believe God's prescription is best. You were offended. God says, forgive it. And you say, I've got a better way. I don't believe your word, God. I don't believe you because I deserve satisfaction. I deserve to get even. And I know better than God knows. We think we have a better way. News flash. Millions of people have gone this way and it did not work out for them. Okay, this is like, this is like the example of all of the people who look at all of the failed attempts of communism, which is like 100% failed attempts, and say, well, they just didn't implement it right. I'm going to implement it the correct way. Okay, That's exactly what's going on here. All these bitter people are sidelined. They didn't forgive and they're sidelined. They destroyed their lives. Well, they didn't do it the way that I know how to do it the right way. You're going to be sidelined too. You're going to destroy your life too. Some people can look at all of the carnage that comes from bitterness and say to themselves, oh, it'll work out for me. You know what that is? Ignorance and unbelief. God says it won't work out for you. So you're going to believe him or you're not going to believe him. And we see this pattern in scripture all the time. God's people doing dumb things. Numbers 14, 11. God says to Moses, how long will this people despise me and how long will they not believe in me? How long are you guys going to not believe what I'm telling you is the right way to go about this? Deuteronomy 9, 23. Um, the Lord sent you up from Kadesh Barnea saying, get up, take possession. And then you rebelled against the command of the Lord and did not believe him or obey his voice. I don't believe you. There's a better way, God. Psalm 106, 24. They despised the pleasant land having no faith in his promise. God is commanding you to forgive. You're going to believe it or you're not. I don't have, I can't, it's just as simple as that. Which one are you going to do? And so let's not be like these unbelieving Israelites. Second cause here we will say is idolatry. Probably pretty straightforward as well. The logic here is this. I'm number one and I should not be offended. It's very me focused. Wait, wait, how dare you offend me? Don't you know who I am? You... Jesus forgave, but I can't. Why? Because I'm more important. I'm better. I have a bigger axe to grind. You think too much of yourself. You are a wretched sinner saved only by the mercy of Christ. He forgave. You can forgive. The third cause is simply foolishness. Uh, this is in uh, Ecclesiastes 7.9. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry. For anger lodges where? In the heart of fools. Bitter and angry people are fools. They are unwise. They are foolish. And it is your foolishness driving the whole situation and not wisdom, not reason, not scripture, but your own foolish passions. This brings us to a slight miscommunication 
between sales and production. I'm assuming you guys are keeping up with me back there because I am in the dark up here. Uh, slight miscommunication between sales and production. It has been wisely said time and time again that nothing in life is certain except death and taxes. But anybody who has worked in any American corporation knows that there is a third certainty. And so we have to revise this statement by saying that nothing is certain in life except death, taxes, and the perpetual war between sales and production. Okay, sales always over promises and production always under delivers. Okay, I'm sorry if I'm offending anyone here, but this is as unbreakable as the law of the Medes and the Persians. Okay, this just is ingrained into the fabric of life. Sales promises delivery by Friday and production says best I can do is Tuesday. Sales promises a greener lawn in just one application, and production says best I can do is six months to a year. And the same is true here. Bitterness promises, the sales department of bitterness promises satisfaction and justice, but only delivers, its production department only delivers misery and sorrow and wasting away. And you're here listening to the sales There are good salespeople, by the way. We have some in our church, okay? But (laughs) just bear with me for a minute. (laughs) I wasn't going to mention any names, but... (laughs) Todd's a good salesman. (laughs) Other salespeople are not good salespeople. Some other salespeople are not good salespeople. I can't recover from this. <laughs> the, the sales department for bitterness is making all of these promises that it simply can't deliver. Yeah, be bitter. You deserve it. You, you were wronged. They did this against you. They were the ones who sinned. You didn't. You can stew on it. You can dream about uh, their demise. You can do all of these things. And if you do this, then you will get satisfaction. And production comes through and just delivers absolute misery in your life. It has once been said that bitterness is the sin where you drink the poison expecting the other person to die. Bitterness is self-consuming, it is self-poisoning, and it is self-destructing. And like the men in Revelation 8.11 who died from drinking the bitter water, so too we die inside from drinking the cup of bitterness. Many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. Don't believe the lie. Bitterness will kill you. I have no simpler way to say that. It will kill you. And in case you want to go to the next level here, the consequence of unforgiveness is unforgiveness. Matthew 6, 14 through 15. If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will, neither will, your father forgive your trespasses. If you 
perpetually and continuously and regularly are bitter and unforgiving, you have a good reason to question and doubt your salvation. Now, I believe, and we're going to get into this when we look at the book of 1 John, I believe that as Christians, we can and we do have moments of sin, and we have things that we call lapses, okay? We lapse back into things. But every single true child of God will repent. Once regenerated, always repenting. And you, you will repent, okay? I realize that we are inside of these fragile, frail, sinful bodies, and that someone offends you, and it is hard, okay? I am confessing to you that it is hard for me, okay? I just want to throw the last punch, right? It's hard. I understand that. In fact, 1 John balances this reality, as only the Lord can, by teaching us that if you say you don't sin, then you're a liar and the truth is not in you either. You will sin. But what I am saying here is that I think what Matthew is teaching us, what Jesus through, through Matthew's gospel, is that if you perpetually and continually and regularly are bitter and unforgiving, then you have a good reason to doubt your salvation. We see this not only... Uh, there in, uh, in Matthew 6, but we see it in Matthew 18, 34 through 35. You know the parable, the unforgiving servant. At the end of the parable, we read this. And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. That's serious stuff. Take heed lest you fall in this area. This brings us to a little bit of perspective for good measure. Okay, I want to give you some perspective on this issue. Here's the statement. Nobody has sinned against you more than you have sinned against Christ. Not a person who's ever existed on this planet has sinned against you more than you have sinned against Christ. You have done more wrong against your Lord than any human has done against you. We see this. Where do we see this in Scripture? The parable we just referenced. In Matthew 18, there was a servant who owed his master 10,000 talents. That was forgiven. But then this forgiven servant now goes out and he finds one of his servants that owes him 100 denarii. And he refused to forgive him. Now, to put this in perspective, one talent is equal to 20 years' wages. He has 10,000 of those, 10,000 times the 20 year wages. Okay? That's kind of like a lot. That's insurmountable there's who can pay that debt off compare that to a denarius which is a day's wages 
They're, they're not, these two amounts that are owed are not even in the same solar system. They can't even remotely compare to one another. And what is this pointing us to? That you have sinned against God to the total of 10,000 talents. And your brother has sinned against you by 100 denarii. Anyone who has ever sinned against you has sinned against you less than you have sinned against Christ. And Christ forgave you. You are called to forgive them. This brings us to our remedy for bitterness. Now, um, I'm going to give to you uh, three, three, four. This is kind of like the application part, okay? Um, I'm going to give you four remedies here to this. Uh, and I wanted to give something so that we didn't end on such a sour note here. But I do want to say that I want to explore this further next week because next week is going to be more on the what does forgiveness look like side of things. We've seen a lot of what does the bitterness look like. Next week, we want to see what does the forgiveness look like. And forgiveness is really the cure to bitterness, is to forgive. Okay? Um, but I wanted to give us something today uh, to give us some hope here. So the first one is fairly obvious, and that is confess your bitterness. Okay? Proverbs 28, 13. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes him will obtain mercy. Very simple formula here. You sin, you confess, God forgives. Okay? Now, the general rule here is that the confession must be as public as the sin was. If you have been bitter and you have spewed your bitterness all over your family and your church and your work, then you have a whole lot of confessing to do. You've got to go make it right because you have spewed this out on a large group of people. If, on the other hand, you had a, uh, someone sinned against you and you had a, a moment, you, you had a couple of days where you were wrestling with forgiving and you struggled with bitterness in your mind, um, but then you finally confess that sin to the Lord, then I don't think that you have to go post that on Facebook or whatever it is, okay? General rule is that your confession is as wide as the sin was. Um, now, I emphasize, and I mention, you know, something a short time, a few days, a week, or whatever, because if it's prolonged, even if you can't see it, it probably was exposed somewhere. That bitterness made a breach, and it spewed out everywhere, okay? If you've been bitter, for example, at someone for five years, okay, then it is 99.99% likely that you have expressed that bitterness somewhere to someone at some time. You, in fact, you may need to ask someone, have I been a bitter person? Have I spewed this out? And then make the appropriate amends there. That's uh, number one. Number two is to put on self-control. Proverbs 16 and verse 32 says, whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. That's a pretty significant comparison. Would you, I'll give you a choice in life. You can either be 
mighty enough and strong enough to be able to make an assault on a city and take it over. You could be that strong and that victorious. Or you could just have the ability to be slow to anger. (laughs) I'd rather take the city. I'd rather be strong. The Bible says it would be better for you. You are better if you can just simply have a really long fuse. That's better. And, and we see this is true because people with short fuses are a dime a dozen today. Uh, it's just everywhere. Who, who had, self-control is not an admirable uh, character trait in our, in our country anymore. Self-control, according to Proverbs 16, is what restrains human anger. And bitterness, of course, is prolonged anger. And so bitter people have no self-control. You have no self-control. You don't have the ability to say, okay, I want revenge. I want to get even. I, I want to get a fair shake out of this whole thing. But you know what? I'm going to set that desire aside. I'm just going to put it aside. I'm going to say no to that passion and to that desire. And I, I'm, I'm just going to forgive. Let me give a brief word to parents here, okay? Um, you are preparing your children to do that well by teaching them how to say no to candy in the candy store, okay? I'm, I'm serious about this, okay? Children, when they are little, have unbridled passions and desires, okay? When you become an adult, you have unbridled passions and desires. When you are a kid, they are over little things that don't have very big consequences, okay? Okay? When you are in the Walmart checkout line and all the candy bars are at your, the height of your children, okay, and they collapse and they fall on the floor and they kick and they scream, and the parent gives them an iPad to shut them up. I hate it when parents do that. It just really bothers me. <laughs> okay? So if I'm in, don't do that if I'm near you. <laughs> what do, but seriously, though, what are you teaching that child? You are, you, you're not helping them exercise a muscle. And the muscle that you're not helping them exercise is the muscle of self-restraint and self-control. When you're little, it's over candy bars. When you're big, it's over a lot bigger things that have a lot bigger consequences, where relationships explode and, and friendships are destroyed. Okay? But it's the same muscle. Same muscle. And so you can help your children in this by teaching them self-control now, while they are young. No, the, we're not having the ice cream now. We're going to save it for later. No, we're not stopping to McDonald's now. We're going to, you know, no, we're not going to do this, you know. You're helping prepare them for the harder battles that they will face one day. If you can't win at the little battles, then you can't win at the big battles either. So put on self-control. The third one is to be content uh, contentment is hard when you've been hurt, but it's necessary. 
Bitterness and contentment are opposites. Bitterness says I have been wronged and I deserve just recompense. Contentment says I have been wronged, but God permitted it. He allowed it. And I can live with that knowing that God knows what's best for me. God knows that it was best for me that this person gashed me in this way. I don't know why. I don't know how. I don't like it. It's not comfortable, but God knows what's best. And he knows that the prescription is to forgive and to be content. And I'm just going to do that. Finally, and the one that we're going to expand the most, Lord willing, next week, is to forgive. Ephesians 4, 31 through 32. Let all bitterness, what we're talking about, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another. This is my daughter Nora's favorite verse. She simply summarizes it with, be kind. When anything's going on, though, be kind. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God and Christ forgave you. This third point, or uh, fourth, that we ought to forgive those who have wronged us is what we'll talk about more next week. But I will say that if we are to obey Christ, and if we are to honor the Lord, And if there is any hope for our own happiness in this life, we must forgive. Fully, completely, entirely. We can't do this apart from Christ either. This is not a pick yourself up by your bootstraps message. This is a fall down on your face before Christ message and beg him for the grace to be able to do this. He's sufficient. Thank you for your grace, God, for this uh, time for your word. Help us to forgive. Help us not to harbor hurt in our lives. Help us to honor you and to be content in this way. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.